Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. It's in front, yeah, front of me in the cinema today. We turn around and say, I like your column about all the old rock balls. I'm a rock ball. <laughs> Which I, I, always think, I always think that probably means he doesn't read it, because actually talking about rock balls. And I said, oh, would you, how do you like it? You know, you know words, I'm a subscriber. It's quite good, wasn't it? Paul Whitehouse. Well, that's very good. He really was, I could tell. By the way, yeah, get him into the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Paul, if you're listening, yeah. anytime you want to turn up, yeah. you can do I suppose we're recording, are we? Recording. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I were to say to you, um, Angie by the Rolling Stones and Hotel California by the Eagles, what's your instant reaction? Ooh, both, well, they're both very good songs. Angie's an amazing, a brilliant lyric. Okay. But one of the best lyrics he ever wrote. Everywhere I look, I see your eyes. And so it's great, it's a great line. But you wouldn't say, my God, they've got an identical acoustic guitar introduction. Uh, I can't remember the... Oh, yes, it's the same chord, isn't it? Well, it's only yeah, this yeah, morning yeah, when they were playing yeah, in the office, Fraser. Yeah. Isn't that right? It's yeah. true. It, it came on. It, it, what is it? Angie came on, and I thought... And somebody is playing the Hotel California intro slightly slower than the Eagles play it. Which begs the question, which came first? I'll tell you which came first. Angie by the Rolling Stones. Okay. But we, you know, we Look out, Don Henley. Castigani is It's not Don Henley, actually. It wasn't Don Henley, but the Don other Felder, Felder, Felder. Uh, That's where he got the money from, but Felder. anyway, so I, you know, innocently tweeted this. You know, what about the extraordinary, you know, similarity between these two things? And I, I get a load of, I get a load of lip from the massive out there. Don't you know that already, you know? I'm yeah, cancelling well, my subscription. I wasn't going to say anything, Dave. <laughs> Actually, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it had never occurred Dave, to me. Can David Hepworth know right. everything? Fraser, can he? Is I, it I thought he did. I, all right, you thought he was so did the massive. But let's be realistic about this for a minute. No, he can't. No. You didn't know it's that. It's going to be an odd. Right. No, I didn't. You? No. Yeah, well, so, uh, you know, at least we're generous enough to share it with yeah, people. Yeah, and to admit that we're fallible, Dave. A mortal. <laughs> yes, most people in our position wouldn't do yeah, that. <laughs> so this is the Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth, and I'm joined by... By Mark Allen. And... Fraser Lurie. At the Wheels of Steel, and uh, we are here to discuss the burning issues which are at the forefront of the massive's mind in this week of all weeks. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. You're putting on a kind of radio announcement. I This is as if the Queen has just died. I'm and this trying... week of all weeks... We all know we about We gather radio. together to mourn the loss of uh, uh, the, the intro to Angie. <laughs> it's all about one thing, radio. Attack, attack, attack. It is. As Danny Baker pointed out years ago. And... Uh, and uh, somebody Come on in, in room. Come on in, join in. Uh, so... Do you want to be on the Word podcast? <laughs> Come and say hello. Just, just a... introduce yourself. Say who you are. And this is Christina. I'm the fashion editor from What's Um But tell them why you're here, because we're sitting in your fashion cupboard, Oh, aren't we? yeah, um, my very messy fashion cupboard. Have you come to get something? Um, do you want I that? Have, there actually. literally is a fun fur tiger yeah, suit over there. Is I'm that actually, what you want? I, I, I've worn that before. I have actually worn it. But I'm actually on my way into Soho to pick up some mannequin arms for um, 
Uh, Could you get some for me? Did you like <laughs> And a cup for Fraser as well. Brilliant. Sorry, we're occupying your room. We'll be back in about an hour with some anecdotes. No problem. I'm looking forward to it. Come back on the podcast. Come back and join us then. So Tell got... us all about it. So stay on the radio. Yeah. We've got burning issues to debate. Uh, the one thing that's been obsessing um, radio and TV and the newspapers this week appears to be Is rock and roll finally dead? Uh, responding to, to, I think, what the, the, um, the announcement of the, the nominees for the Brit Awards. Uh, which didn't seem to contain any kind of clangy guitar groups, uh, and also some survey of the uh, the chart hits of the last year found that there were very few guitar groups. In, in that, oh, I read this. I, 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 I'm not sufficiently across the story, <coughs> across this, but I did read the Guardian's version, and a chap from the Independent, very nice chap, rang me up and asked me for a comment. Oh, right. And so, so what, which what I didn't have a comment. I didn't have a comment actually. I said uh, I said I, didn't, uh, I just hadn't got time to think about it actually. And then we had time subsequently. No, I haven't. Uh, well, to tell me where, where we are. So who, just, well, there's not very many rock bands. Not very many rock bands, and leading to the you know some people to the con- conclusion that rock and roll is dead, as the Rubinous sang in 1976. <laughs> <laughs> the Rubinous <laughs> no, as the flag wavers. They wrote a song called "Rock and Roll Is Dead," and we don't care. Yeah. Um... Is there any evidence to support this? I think there probably is quite a bit of evidence, actually. Uh, certainly from the charts. You know. Oh, from the charts, yes. But then well, it's pretty you're fair. talking about the singles chart, aren't you? It's the album chart has, has rock in, surely. Is it rock in? Is I, it still rock in? I think there is some rock in there. Oh, there's certainly some rock in there. But uh, here's my point. I think compared to the amount of people out there, the amount of kind of 14, 15-year-olds in the last 10 years who've started rock bands... You know, that, who, who, there seem to be more of them than ever been at any point in my lifetime. You know what I mean? This kind of seized a whole generation. So you've got this massive kind of productivity. Massive amount of rock was created, yeah. yes, which has not been received very warmly by the general public in many ways. The general public appears to... But they prefer you know, Lady Gaga. And they prefer well, what girls allowed. I think well, okay. I think that you can might you might say that they probably p- prefer things that come from a kind of hip hop root. The, you, you, there might be a case for saying actually, and I'm making this up as I go along, that you know rock and roll was invented, whatever Elvis Presley, Big Joe Turner, whatever mid fifties, yes. But actually, popular music was reinvented by hip hop. Starts again. There's a kind of year zero. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Just in the early 80s. And so much of what's come along since comes from that route. It doesn't come from the Elvis Presley, Big Joe Turner. The whole thing is is reflective of the fact that records are now made in a completely different way than they were 30 years ago, where everything was made like a rock record, whether it was pop or not. It was a a band in a studio. And now, of course, it's not. So you've got the technology on top of it. But you've also got, you know, the entry of a completely different aesthetic, you know. I think that's a good theory, and I, I think I would add to that 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 there is a parallel with punk rock in 1977, and I'm working on a piece that we're running on the next issue about this, actually. And it, it fascinates me that in 1977, when I worked at New Musical Express, um, there was a complete... There was a line drawn in the sand, wasn't there? You remember this day? That, that both there was, a, there was a collusion between the rock musicians and actually the writers, Charlie Murray and Nick Kent, Paul Morley and everybody, to either scoff at the past or pretend that a lot of the past hadn't existed and try and fabricate a universe where, where a, a brand-new present had just begun. Right. The present had begun with the damned and it begun with uh, public... Uh, not public issues, with sex pistols. And, uh, and there was no suggestion that Johnny Rotten was a Van de Graaff generator fan, which, of course, he was. As I was saying the other day, I interviewed Adam Ant, and uh, he told me that, you know, the great uh, inspiration for his life, apart from Argent, he said, was Argent. Rory, yeah, was Rory Gallagher. He said that changed my life. Now, never, he even never, now, he never talked about that. Even now, I find that extraordinary. Because you think, well, he'd be talking about David Bowie or something a bit more theatrical. But no, Rory Gallagher. Now he couldn't have said that in 1979, could he? No, without no. fear of being Argent, uh, being followed by an angry lynch mob. Argent. They hold yeah. your head up high. Yeah. And the interesting thing, I think, is, is that ground zero was, uh, was, a, was a fictitious ground So zero. that's a fake ground that's zero. A fa- because what happened was all those people, Adam Ant being a really good example, eventually just dropped their guard and acknowledged that what they had done had come from somewhere. But your point about hip-hop, I really agree with, because I don't think there is a kind of precedent. So therefore, if you grew up liking hip-hop, there's no point in going back to... The very early rock and roll. From it doesn't which take you because it doesn't take you anywhere. Public enemy. It doesn't take you anywhere. It doesn't lead no. you to Big Joe. Well, I, I suppose it possibly. 
It, it leads you to Actually, rhythm it's a and rare blues. exception. It, it might lead it, you to Big Joe Tony. It, it leads you to many other people. It leads you that. to the dozens. It might lead you to Muddy Waters. And the, and the, yeah. Rhythm and blues and yeah. jazz. It probably misses out white rock and roll. Completely. <laughs> which makes it incredibly exciting, <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah. actually. And, so, and, and I was... T- <coughs> excuse me. As I was thinking about this today, <coughs> it struck me that... Um, I think of a Martians. Martians arrived tomorrow. And, uh, and they listened to a load of records on the pop chart. And here's the instant conclusion they'd come to, okay? They'd say the best records are made by black artists. They're just catchier. They're just more instant. Have they never heard anything by Tapao? What's the matter with you? Well, that's a long topic. (laughs) But they're less reliant on the on who they are and the kind of backstory and the culture and the and the culture of, of fan relationships they're just reliant on do you like the record and if you like the record you go and buy it or something you know we've discussed this before on the podcast that in black music there's hardly any tradition of nostalgia at all whereas in white music it's absolutely key completely <laughs> and so it struck me that one of the things Damon Albarn did most cleverly, informing the gorillas, he, he, he moved out of a white group into a black group. But the overwhelming sound of the gorillas is a hip-hop sound. It is, yeah. And, and fronted very often by African-American rappers, singers, or whatever. It's got a completely different fingerprint to it. And it's also it has been way enough, catchier it, than anything he did with Blur. Yeah, and, and interestingly, some of the, 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 uh, the people he has, the guest cameo singers are not being required to act out their past they're actually slightly um, reinvented yeah. they're, not be, they're not being brought on to be the Bobby Womack you remember from the 1970s but also you can drop their record kind of in the middle of Capital Radio or yeah. something, and it sounds absolutely fine so it's perfectly logical next to everything else whereas if you do it with an average white rock band nowadays it tends to sound kind of anachronistic and a bit thin it's it's just got a, it's it's got a different texture to it. Yeah. Which, you know, it could be that a lot of people, you know, the great public don't relate to anymore. So, I mean, right, maybe wrong, you know, but you know, 10 years ago there were all those same people were all swaying back and forth to the sound of Oasis, you know, which is as kind of white bread or rock and roll sound as there ever was. And maybe they will be in the future. Do you think white Again, rock bands are afraid of melody? <clears throat> I was just thinking about um, Boo Radley's and Martin Carr, who seem to be perpetually bar- embarrassed by Wake Up Boo, their biggest hit, or obviously their biggest kind of pop-friendly radio thing. Whereas the stuff that's kind of a bit cooler, the, the earlier reggae-influenced stuff, is they're pretty quite happy with still. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true, yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, your big, the record that you feel warmest about ought to be the one that was the biggest success. Mm. <coughs> Whereas very often that's not the case. Also, I wonder if those, I wonder if the audiences had the association with those black acts in the uh, of the 1950s and 1960s that the white uh, audiences to develop later on with white acts because it wasn't to do what those were to do with personality and CV and the whole package and the mythology yeah. of the group. You know, even if it was um, you know Doctor Strangely Strange, you know, I can remember thinking, right, I, I need I need to know who these people. You are. You need to know about them first. I, I want to see a picture of them. I want to see if there's any girls in the group. I want to see if you know if this is what the hair is like, what clothes they're wearing. But you probably you know, didn't I, feel the same way about Earth, Wind & Fire? No, no, not really. But I think also back in the past, I don't think people looked at Sam Cooke and, and had to have the whole Sam Cooke package. I think those things were entirely based on oh, showmanship and theatre and also just danceability. You know, these were the, if they were the great dance records, go and dance them live in front of the person who made them. I don't yeah. think people really... I think that's a sort of white thing, that huge, great mythological folklore rock journalistic attitude. Well, it is, obviously, isn't it? It's true. Well, they... they... Well, it's like we've discussed this before. We're discussing this in the office, that the fundamental difference between men and women in terms of listening to music is that, is that women go, <clears throat> I like this. Men go, what's this? Yeah. I like it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's very true. It, it's a fundamental thing. Yeah. In fact, it, 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 quite often the cry goes up in rock, rock magazine offices, and, and words mean no exception, actually, which is, which is sort of, caught you! It's like, yeah. it's like the yeah. idea that you play a track with someone who's meant to be universally derided, yeah. and you're somehow suckered into saying it's quite good. Is it really, Genesis? Blushes deeply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought I didn't realise I'd like to say I liked them, you know. And, I mean, that is, to me, is the fundamental, <clears throat> if there is any significant difference between pop and rock, which, you know... I'd argue there probably isn't. Is that, is that rock is, is stuff that people have decided that they ought to like, and then they like it subsequently. And pop is what you actually like. 
It's just what strikes your ear. Yeah, and also, well, I think, you know, pop has a, uh, a kind of, um, a, what's the word? It has a, it has a, a sort of a, a, a recreational value. This is completely different from rock, I think. Pop is pop's something that gets children up in the morning and gets them dressed and on the way to school. And yes. It, 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 it's it, the rhythm of daily life. Yeah, it kind of That's diffuses true. the misery of long car journeys. You know, it takes the heat out of situations. Whereas rock is a sort of, the great sacrament, the tablet <laughs> is placed upon a machine that revolves. And a lot of people sit around stroking their chins. That's a totally different thing, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so I think they have very different purposes. You too. could say that rock has been dead ever since, you know, the, the, uh, the deck that carried the 12-inch black vinyl... LP and they're, and they're listening to the new album by the light of a single candle while leaning back on a scatter. Still goes on in my house. I really No, we don't. We've got a vinyl player. And the cracking log fire. Yeah, and okay. the, I love it. I'm, tell you, I'm, going yeah. my, I'm going through my Louis Armstrong obsession at the moment. I play Louis Armstrong ten inches. Uh, and listen to uh, it. Sounds ten inches. Oh, yeah, I've got some ten inches. What RPM? Uh, t- ten inches. Uh, ten inches. They're thirty-three RPMs, but they're ten inches. You know, you know ten-inch. You know, those little wonderful sleeves. And they're really old. Things like um, I got one with um, San Louis Blues on it, and stuff like that. You know, just fantastic. And they're live recordings, beautiful. And they're, and they're really quite thick vinyl. Actually, if yes. you dropped it, you think it might shatter. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're yeah. quite old. You know, the substance. I love all that. It sounds terribly boring. They're talking about vinyl, but I do have a real thirst for it. I love it. Because you've just you've just recatalogued, haven't you? Well, I recat- I'm sure everybody. <laughs> Everybody, yeah, just, tell me about that. It sounds like God. Actually, no, I really talk. feel. Yeah. Like a, yeah. what, this time of year, what do you do you're, for you're, repotting you're, your, your parsnips already? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you already budded your, your daffodils. Oh, Mark actually, do you know, this is the we one place, I can actually say one place on the word podcast, I don't feel remotely self-conscious talking about this, but this is a terrible tradition in my house. I don't drink alcohol in, uh, in January. I'm sure a lot of people listening probably do the same, but it's my 20th year, by the way. And one of the terrible uh, effects of not drinking alcohol, uh, uh, one of which obviously is that actually after 10.30 at night, whatever social event you're at, becomes monumentally dull. But anyway, you're not as funny as you think you are, mate, and you're not as handsome either. But anyway, uh, but one of the things is that you you get, I'm fairly energetic, you divide an absolutely incredible amounts of energy. And uh, on the 2nd and 3rd of January, I'm always flapping about. You know, you've had Christmas, you've done New Year, you know, I'm just getting ready to come back here, actually. And I always thought there's a project, you know. And this year it was to, to ca- catalogue my... See, I've got a whole wall of CDs in one of my son's bedrooms. There's a, a, a wall, top to bottom, for, built for CDs. And I've got them all now in alphabetical. But the more, most important, it's not really the alphabetical stuff that really bothers me. The interesting stuff for me is compilations. That's the real value of my record collection, I think. So now I've got compilations. I start off by having, well, we're going to have reggae one, and then we'll have some uh, rhythm and blues, and then we'll have R&B, and then we'll have uh, just blues, and then we'll have uh, folk, and maybe American folk. And, and then, of course, you suddenly realise you're writing out more and more of these little coloured cards with more and more detailed, tiny little... <laughs> I know, it's a bit sad, isn't it? But this is how what's got to you know. I now have a Calypso section in my record. It only has five albums in it, but it says Calypso. And it's not because my husband say, let's hear some Calypso, which I hope they do, actually, because it'll make it a whole thing worthwhile. <laughs> often do that. I will leap to my feet and go up the stairs and, and go, select Here's the fabulous. Yeah, exactly. Actually, Sparrow's in there, of course I he is. Pretty much everything's on every album. You know. I've got a, a section, I think, called Hillbilly. I've got one called Bluegrass. Who's in Hillbilly? I'm trying to think who's in it now. I think Hillbilly and Bluegrass crosses over. Hillbilly Cat. Yes, he was the Hillbilly Cat. I'm trying to think who's in there. It's mostly, it's, I suppose it's what we call mountain music. I'm now trying to think of right. it. Carter, it's quite modern, thing. actually. Carter, I think oh, I've got several Carter oh. records, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I did. And this is, I know this is a bit dull, but I tell you, the listeners to the podcast, when you've done it, I keep, I keep wandering in there and just having a little look, you know, and, and it makes you want to listen to things. You think, I go, well, my reggae collection is fantastic. I've forgotten how good it is. And you want to listen to every record. That, that's, that's, that's the big challenge, isn't it? Because as you accumulate records, you know, when you start out with records, you start out with a small number of them. And you play them a lot. Yeah. And then as the number grows and grows and grows, you probably play them less. Yeah. <clears throat> See, I, and, I've and gone you, back you, to you the You beginning. end up with a wall full of vinyl, and you think, oh, I can't be bothered to go in there. And you have to have something that awakens your interest. Completely. Now, you had an incident I've, I've gone back to, to owning no records. I, um, over the new year, I spent uh, time in a, a friend's flat in uh, Madrid, 
and he's never bought CDs, so he's got five or six thousand albums, all beautifully catalogued and alphabetized. And well, you're there on your own. I'm there on my own. So I spent four oh, days what? reading sleeve five. notes. You see, I'd love that five thousand of somebody else's record. That'd be fun. That'd be better than mine. So go on. And what did you I, pick I spent, out? You know, four days reading sleeve notes. Something oh, I haven't done. Since. What did you What did you pull out? Come on. All sorts of things. Come he's on, he's got lots of reggae, lots of African, lots of hip hop, and that kind of stuff. And I got home. Twelve inch Bought a turntable. Uh, I you. sold my turntable ten years ago. Bought a turntable. I but now the interesting have, thing I now have is two albums. Can we guess? You'd never guess. One's a hip hop album by Danger Doom. The other one's a. A, uh, a double album of Tony Allen remixes, and I've been playing both of them all week. Tony I'm Allen still... of Falakuti, but what I, yeah. I love about that is what got you into that was the sleeve notes yeah. was the first thing, which I really, really agree with. Because this know. is, a th- I didn't yeah. realise until I was there that this is the thing I'd really missed about the last ten years. Oh, I can quote them, but just I mean, it's, that's the awful thing. There's a Bonzo Dog uh, uh, album with, with, with sleeves out where it describes one track. It just says, a stuffed pig makes an attractive lampshade. <laughs> That's all it says. That's all it says. They give a little two lines of metallic type under each one. You see, when I was a kid, I used to go into record shops. You didn't, you didn't buy anything most of the time. You couldn't afford to. But what you did was you, you, you went in a record shop like you might go in a library. Yeah, and you read those things. You read everything. memorised them. So that's so much of the grounding of what I know, which yeah. is admittedly not the resemblance between the intro to Angie and the intro to Hotel California. Well, yeah. <laughs> which but, any fool but, know, David. But the engineers on, you know, Simon and Garfunkel records... I know that because I stood there in 1965 yeah. and read the Bloomin' I think I also miss the ritual which, of, uh, of records, which is a really nice thing. The reason I like making my own coffee at home, grinding my own beans and I have a, a coffee maker and all that kind of stuff, is I like the ritual. and, and the Absolutely, and absolutely. And it's the same with records. And cooking. Pulling it out of the bag and placing it on the yeah. table and slowly lowering the arm and waiting for the crackle. I've really we we need to have an initiative to re-establish that kind of ritual led by the nation who are probably the most... Uh, forward in doing this who are the french my my observation of the french is that they're huge believers in the ritual of doing anything right you know preparation of food serving a wine playing of rugby yes anything that's why french <laughs> football teams very often dribble the ball right to the goal line and then don't get it in because they've got they always got this idea that there's an ideal way of doing everything yeah uh, whereas British way is quite pragmatic. So the preparation is absolutely brilliant. Just the finish isn't quite. Well, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. it does happen That's in French sporting teams. Yeah, it? yeah, it does. Yeah, it happens. French, you know, they, they either score the greatest tries you've ever seen, or they don't score at all. There's nothing in between. Uh, and so we need that stressing to people about records that the fun is actually before the music starts. That's good. Isn't I like it? it. Yeah. But our boys, oh, I like wish that I piece that I'd love to spend the... a weekend with 5,000 of somebody else's records. It was fantastic. Well, do you remember when I bought an iPod for the first time? I remember it was about two or eight years ago. And I, 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 Andrew Harrison very kindly bought one in America. It was a lot cheaper, actually. It was a 3,000 capacity, 3,000 songs, time, I don't know what size it is. And they said, uh, lend it to me and I'll, I'll go back tomorrow. And he took it away and he gave it, they said, with 3,000 songs on it. And that was really good. I really liked that. Because they just, just randomly just wallop great chunks of his record collection into my thing. I couldn't copy it off and duplicate it, but I could listen to it. And I had it for a long time, and I liked that very much. It was really exciting. You didn't know what was coming up. And, of course, it tells you, so it's just a little mystery tool. But I do think record... Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm getting bored of... Or I feel less excited, rather, about the value of my individual rack of Allman Brothers records or ABC records, whatever it is. Uh, and more about about the library aspect of compilations. You know, I, I, you know, the, the moment when I you're going through it alphabetically, you find your Glaxo Babies is next to your Glitter Band, which is next to your Global Village Trucking Company. You think, do I need any of these? <laughs> Whereas one really good Calypso compilation brings you a huge amount of happiness. Yep, it really does. Now I've got a question here from the massive yep. again. Uh, the dilemmas uh, that we've wrestled with over the previous weeks. This one, I think it's probably the same person who sends these. Uh, Whole Hog. He says... Is that Gavin Hogg? I don't know. Might be. He writes to the site a lot, doesn't he? OK. He's written a piece for the next issue. Yeah, all right, well, good. it might be. Um, he, he says, the birds or the doors? Oh, wow. God, the birds or the doors. The birds. Have you ever heard there's a live bootleg recording? That's a really wanky thing to say. <laughs> there's a bootleg recording, right, uh, of the birds in a club in, uh, I think, on, on, in, on some Sunset Strip yeah, playing uh, This Wheel's on Fire. Yeah. Have you ever heard that? I think it is one of the greatest recordings I've ever heard in my life. 
every member of that group were fantastically good musicians. They were brilliant musicians. Although you take Crosby out of it now and you listen to him on his own, God, what a weak voice. <laughs> Sorry. I've had a... But that's a difficult one. Was it Birds vs. What the, the Doors? The Doors. Oh, just, see, that's difficult. Oh, don't, it, listeners, if you could see the grimace, the rictus of pain playing upon the, the physiognomy of David Hepworth, you'd know you're going to get a very negative response when it comes to the, the Lizard King. <laughs> Let the ceremony not begin but at all. Um, the Doors, the Doors. <laughs> I, I change my mind about The Doors all the time. Yeah, There's yeah. times I quite enjoyed them, but I enjoy them like I enjoy the sweet. You know, <laughs> you know the notion that he was a poet is Fraser is fighting absolutely preposterous. Well, he was a kind of yeah, polytechnic poet, wasn't he? He was a sixth form <laughs> the, poet. The birds are a wonderful group, and, incredible, uh, and group. I feel very warmly. You think the birds would be as good if you took away the cover versions? I mean, I know that's part of it. Uh, that's a very interesting question. But that's and how they got to where they got to, wasn't cover it? Versions. Yeah, you could say uh, Bob Marley got to where he got to partly because if I shot the sheriff, pretty you know. good things on their own. <laughs> Eight miles high, oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, say you want to be a rock and roll star and all sorts of things, and uh, you know, right throughout the career, they continued making quite good records, you know. Things like The Ballad of Easy Rider, which is a personal favourite of mine, one of their later records, with Jesus is Just All Right on it, and Gunga Din and things I'm like that. I'm just going to have to correct myself, aren't I? Go because it's going to be terrible complaint. Why? I'm suggesting that I Shot the Sheriff was a cover version that Bob Marley played. Of course, it was Eric Clapton. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right, Massive, please don't write it. Yeah. I know. Yes. I know, and I didn't know that Angie thing either. Save your stuff. Sorry, David. Paul Hogg also wants to know, and I'll turn this one over to Fraser, Jarvis Cocker or Morrissey? Jarvis Cocker or Morrissey? Oh, good Lord. What kind of a question is that? Oh, Jarvis Sad. Cocker. I ju- I just oh, this is a ludicrous question. I, I don't particularly like either, but uh, Jarvis Cocker, I just think it's more naturally warm and funny. And oh, Morrissey f- is cold and funny. Who would you go for a drink with? Jarvis. Jarvis I think. Is it pouring down my I don't right think Morrissey was saying it's anything. It's raining so hard. Can you hear that on the... We're, we're in a cell within, you know, yeah. in a building. And, uh, floors and we, below the roof. Oh, we can hear there's a ter- torrential rain. That is a ludicrous question. I think it's massively insulting to Morrissey. Don't you? Uh, really? Yeah, Morris, Dave, the governor. <laughs> if you've never had to go to court with him. No. <laughs> <laughs> the governor, surely. Oh, he's a tosser. He's, uh, Morrissey is a tosser. Is this what it's come to? <laughs> What is this the level of debate that we now expect from the legendary word podcast? Is Morrissey a toss? I'll answer yes. It's not even a debate, it's a statement of fact. No, I, I contest that very vigorously. Morris, not, I, barely anything Morrissey's ever said is neither funny or, or, or tinged with a little wisdom. Cocker's a, a good fellow, but he's a bit of a comedy knockabout cabaret chap, isn't he, really? Yeah, but he wrote one terrific he's song. Cold Morrissey, isn't he? I'm not suggesting he isn't cold. I'm saying he's... I'm going for a drink with him would be agonising. Yeah. <laughs> what drink would you have? Whatever you have, it would be wrong, wouldn't it? Going for a pork Nothing made of meat. A pork shop. <laughs> Packing a pork scratchings and a plate of old dog bolt. A very short drink. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. There's been a heated debate on the, on the uh, website this week, Mark. Yeah. Uh, started by Vince Packett. Oh, yeah. And he says, did the 80s... Kill proper music. And I'm going to read um, what he said. Good Lord. Go on. I've just been thinking some more, he says, about the music that I listen to a lot, and I've noticed a weird pattern. All of the following were big, but went stratospheric with what I've called coffee table albums that crossed from aficionados of the artist or band to being loved by a much larger cross-section of the public. The weirder thing is, as a fan of the artist, this is the point where I consider them to have gone off the boil. (laughs) I know it's a bit of a generalisation, and saying, born in the USA is Bruce Springsteen going off the ball, maybe fighting talk, but when perusing back catalogues, for me, 1983-84 was a bad couple of years, he says. And he flagged up what he thinks are examples of how acts at that time made terrible records... And then went off the boil. He cites Elton John. Cites is a great word. Milad. He cites. He cites. Let me bring to your <laughs> attention. Call in evidence. <laughs> the following uh, miscreants. Elton John. Elton John. Elton John, Elton John sir. Elton John. Yeah. Elton. Yes. Mr. Mick Jagger. What's that name? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Elton John, too low for zero. He says, I think that's the one that's got, I guess that's why they call it the blues on it, hasn't it? And I'm still standing, I think. What, the greatest songs he ever wrote? Uh, Pretty good. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. (laughs) Fighting talk. Uh, Genesis, 
album called Genesis in 1983. That was Mama and uh, that era, wasn't it? Okay. I think. And Billy Joel and Innocent Man, 1983. And he reckons that these people started to go off at that point. Now, he would probably add Dire Straits into that with Brothers in Arms, I imagine. Because that was the same period. I, them going I suppose, I suppose he, he probably would. You know, the, the, the expression coffee table album is, is loaded with the yeah, It really it? is. <laughs> and, and, you know... It's a I, withering, contemptuous <laughs> comment, so, isn't it? <laughs> and, and I can't help but think that you, you, you use it to indicate that these records were then on the coffee tables of people that you didn't approve of. Yeah. I.e., not your mates. Yeah, or not qualified to listen to rock music because <laughs> they had no taste or they didn't <laughs> listen hard enough. <laughs> but um, I, I know I know, freak, I know, people at the time, big Bruce Springsteen fans, who said the same thing about Born in the USA. But I think it's a fantastic record. But it's a big, clangy pop record. Is he getting confused with... Um, <laughs> is he? Is he, uh, is he uh, <laughs> I, I posit, <laughs> uh, under a delusion here that there's a difference between... No, isn't it a lot to the production? I don't know. Because that record, the big problem with that record, was that somebody produced that for the new American uh, stereo uh, uh, radio boom, didn't they? And made it uh, the most monstrous yeah, it's one of the first most obvious uses of very compressed drum sound very yes. boring I know I know no, I know it's not boring, it's is not it not boring? Okay, can I talk about that can it's I say boring, compressed drum sound so therefore it sounds um, it sounds uh, terribly what, what are the terribly cliche words it sounds terribly histrionic it's artificially loud it's artificially loud it's got monosodium glutamate poured <laughs> all over it isn't it it's full of enum <laughs> it's full of, full of artificial colouring <laughs> it's pink <laughs> but, but you know that's that's the thing about that record it, that I keep returning to is that the breakout song Dancing in the Dark was you know the most profoundly pivotal thing he ever did mm. which was he had the record finished and John Landau said there isn't a hit here you know you've got to write a hit and Good we've advice. had this discussion in the past on the, I know I've talked to people in the record business about this that so often the big tune comes when the album's finished when they feel the pressure's gone, yep. I've produced most of it, yep. now I'm going to give you a bit of fun at the end of it. Beatles being really good examples of this. And, um, Michael Jackson. Yes, Michael Jackson did, he did uh, Beat It and Billie Jean Billie, were both yep. put on <laughs> the end of Tacked the record on. when it was done. <laughs> but anyway, Dancing in the Dark, you know, and you can trace this to its lyrics, you can't start a fire without a spark, this gun's for hire, even though we're just Dancing in the Dark was a lyric about how hard it is to write a song when you're not inspired to write a song. And, you know, and the, whole, the whole notion of it, and the, the way the video was then shot, which was to kind of picture him as being even more popular than he was, and the plucking the girl out of the and audience... Appealing to young girls, yeah. It was, it was a complete projection of where he wanted to be. You know what I mean? It was a massive kind of artistic statement... Listeners, I didn't know that. Have a go at me by all means, but I have learned something. This has been an educational you know, and, and informative and, you know, experience so for me. Dancing in the Dark was a record that that turned that you know turned Bruce Springsteen from another kind of culty rock act who sold respectable numbers of records to being an absolute household name. Could that be not disconnected to the reason our friend here is <laughs> is disgruntled about it? <laughs> That his beloved Springsteen was uh, pulled taken, away from him and taken, taken from, from him and released into the crowd. Yes, and had to rub shoulders to with all manner of hobbledehoys. Exactly. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but that's, you know, that, that's, it, that's the interesting thing to me about that period in the, in the 80s, you know, that, they, that there was this little culty thing called rock ceased being this culty thing yeah. called rock. And became, you know, this kind of six-lane highway. Absolutely. But is it part of a larger argument, which I think is going... I think this might be going on the website too, actually, about the, about this whole thing about the, that decade itself. Because it's not just that the Rockettes seemed to underperform, but that the 80s was somehow some terrible waste of time or terrible embarrassment. <laughs> is that being... Is that, I mean, is it worth having that debate? Well, yeah, no. But when people write... I think people, particularly people of a certain age, when they reflect upon the 80s... It's with it's with embarrassment. They do. I mean, I think that'll that will change. That will change. It always does. Um, you know, disgraced prime ministers are loved again, aren't they? But well, not for twenty years. Yeah. Uh, but but you know, they, they just have this. I think people get very quick to have this kind of cliched 
you know, idea of it, which is kind of Duran Duran. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, Snoo, a flock of seagulls, Snoo. hair products, oh God, yes. pixie boots and yeah. blouses. That's yeah. the 80s. Right, move on. Let's yeah. go to the 90s. Now, hang on. Well, all day on are far more, far yeah. richer and more varied than that. Absolutely. You know? And, uh, you know, the, the, it's, uh, it's only after a, a while that people start to, start to realise that. Anyway, I took on this challenge. I'm, gonna, I'm, yeah, I'm now searching in my iPad to see if I can find this um, thing. I, I thought I was very interested in the you know the tons of response to this this issue about um, are there any great albums out of the eighties? And I've got oh right okay I've got ten here oh go on no loads of great I've got eight. eight it's my it's my eight okay I did last night okay it's so this is your list this is eight great records from the eighties okay Paul Simon's Graceland tremendous record. He's arguably the best record Paul Simon ever made. Yeah. Uh, Came out in 1985, 86, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Again, people have incredibly mixed feelings about it because apartheid busting. <laughs> yeah, didn't pay the union rates. <laughs> what a bastard. Well, all right, OK. But the record, for a moment, you know what I mean? It's an extraordinary record. Incredible record. Richard Thompson's best record, Shoot Out the Lights. Came out in what, 1983 or yeah. something like that. There's a record by Michael Jackson called Thriller. Which never heard of it. Quite enduring, I think. You which I think heard of that still. Pretty much sold all, as many records as all the records in the seventies put together. Yeah. yeah, that's quite a good. Nothing wrong. Eight singles. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. I may be the only person who thinks this is a fantastic record. I, I do. Tom Waits, Rain Dogs, masterpiece. Elvis Costello, Get Happy. Oh gosh, Get Happy. Wait a What's on there? Very happy. happy. Well, Get Happy isn't the one that's got about fifty. Oh, it's tracks. the kind of soul track. Yeah, yeah. Love for tender and five gears in reverse oh, yeah, yeah, and you know, motel yeah. matches and the you know the kind of the great on the road sounds a bit like Stax. Yeah. Record. Um, and then and then one that really does sound like people's cliche view of the eighties: ZZ Top's Eliminator. Great Sharp record. dressed man and legs. Great record. I can see them now on the old grey whistle test. A Texan landscape. Yeah. With Andy Kershaw, with their beards blowing all the same direction, the two that had beards. And finally, Pet Shop Boys, actually. Brilliant record. Which is a great record. Yeah. But they all, they all sound different than records made in the 70s. You know, because clearly, well, I would imagine they were all made digitally, one way or another. And that was one of the big turning points that came at that time, which is something loads of people are referring to in this thread that the 80s was the time when, if you're running a studio, you constantly had to have the new bit of kit. And whatever the new bit of kit was, whether it was syndromes or whatever, everybody felt they had to have and So it. what you ended up with was well, about like ZZ Top, who'd made the same record for 20 years, suddenly sounding different. Yes. Because the drums had this electronic, metallic edge. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And again, you know, there are millions of people to whom Tres Hombres by ZZ Top would never have appealed because it was too kind of dry and... and loose. <laughs> yes. They loved Eliminator. They love it, actually, because it's... Well, it's fair enough, and, you know, so it's like people like films. They like it because it's obvious. And it had good videos. <laughs> yes. You know, it kind of rolls all over you. It's massive entertainment. It's pumped up, isn't it? You know, yep. like Dancing in the Dark was pumped up. And you can't get away from this, you know, because this is the point at which... <clears throat> You know, this suddenly, um, yeah, as I say, this culty thing suddenly became absolutely huge. I don't know if you've got a letter. Somebody, I think I printed out a, a few of the things, I thought, threads that people have mentioned. Is it does somebody mentioned Live Aid on one of these? Like, oh, yeah, I've got that. This is uh, from, uh, it's in such small type. Can I read it out? It's from Metal Mickey. Metal Mickey. Metal, Metal says, uh, <laughs> I thought the early 80s were great. New Wave kicked open the doors for everyone. Genuinely independent labels were getting heard. Synths and drum machines were affordable. And anyone with an idea seemed to be able to get a seat at the table. Nice expression. As noted numerous earlier times in this thread, etc, etc, etc. Come 1985, though, uh, the, the Live Aid inadvertently became a worldwide lightning rod for all those stadium acts, stadium rock values. The newer bands were rubbish on the day. And ones who stood out were the oldies. Queen... U2, etc., etc., etc. Well, the U2 weren't that old by then, were they? They right? weren't that old, actually. <laughs> they weren't that old. Actually, I'm going to make I'm going to make a point, uh, which is actually at a tangent, really, to to what Metal has said here, which is that I, I think one of the most exciting things about the eighties. Sorry, miles off my phone. <clears throat> one of the things about the eighties was very exciting was that um, Phil Oakey once said this in an interview with me, I think, in 1981, that it freed up uh, non-musicians to participate. Now that sounds a bad thing. Yeah. It's not a bad thing at all. 
He, in fact, the musicians in the early Human League were the ones that they brought in. They'd be like Joe Callis, the old school people who knew what chords were and things like that. Whereas these guys actually were musicians. They just have an intuitive flair for melody writing, lyric writing. And therefore, but, but, but if you play a synthesizer, you don't actually have to be, you know, you, you can tell if you press that key, it's yep. going to make a certain noise. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And I thought it made, um, you know, it was like that piece that we once ran in Q about how if the Beatles formed today, they would just be a duo. Yes. Like soft cell or eurythmics. The they would just be John and Paul. The other two wouldn't be there. Just, uh, it wouldn't be as much fun, would there? No, it wouldn't be as much fun, no. But I thought that was interesting. And Plus I thought they'd be that, in their uh, 70s. No one would sign them. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. The thing that fascinates me... And also the fact that the studio is an instrument. You know, that the studio became the main instrument and and therefore the shift towards the producer as being the person who's going to move all this stuff around. You know, I mean, I can think of some records that are really good. They're not particularly in that rock... Uh, rock and roll kind of mainstream, but things like Swoon by Prefab Sprout and Heaven and uh, Heaven Seventeen's Penthouse Payment, and probably Remain in Light by Talking Heads, and possibly some of those early B52s records, uh, Wild Planet, and possibly, in fact, definitely both Kate Bush's records, The Dreaming and Hands of Love, which I, I listened to those the other day. They are unbelievable. They're fantastic. Good. Oh my God, they're good. I yeah. mean, I, I think they were almost just a little bit. I mean, you wouldn't quite ready to process that stuff at the time. It's incredible. And even things like Computer World, although it wasn't their best stuff by Kraftwerk, it's still extraordinarily uh, atmospheric music. And that stuff was produced, a lot of that was produced very, very digitally and very, what I think our, our 70s rock aficionado would say in, in very artificial terms. You know, I, I don't believe in this artificial thing at all. You know, that eventually led, that revolution that happened in the 1980s is what led to obviously to dance music which which meant that you know if you took all the elements that you normally associate with pop music lyrics and vocals and personality and sentiment and verse and chorus and you know hummability it, all that was replaced and all you had left was a dance rhythm and an atmosphere and i think it's very exciting that music i mean it has its purpose but I really, really like that. I don't mean I just like it when I'm at Glastonbury at four o'clock in the morning or wandering around. That kind of stuff really makes makes sense. You know, that kind of uh, instrumental, ambient dance music, this pulse. But I do think that was an incredibly exciting revolution. And that revolution was brought about by what happened in the 80s. It never gets any credit for it. Yeah, the 80s are still getting massively duffed up. I can fact, just think the word 80s, you know, I just see a load of really pinched-looking alternative comedians <laughs> making the same withering fucking comments about it. You know what I mean? Who made a fortune. Who made a fortune out of taking a picture. Who made a fortune out of the boom and Channel 4 and, you know, know. and satire. And, you know, they're, yeah, not, exactly. they're all living on islands now. <laughs> I know, yeah. Disapproving of it. Fraser, yeah. what you got there? You got any contributions to the debate? Uh, I've got someone here who says, uh, I was a teen in the 80s and profoundly hated most of the music in the charts at the time and wondered what on earth was going on. This is from Marky. He says, uh, luckily I was, choose- I was able to ch- discover the Beatles, Zeppelin and Hendrix. And that left me wondering what dark forces were at work that could be that could make the quite obviously soul-destroying empty drill in the charts so enormously successful. <laughs> 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 but I think he knows where he's he, He's got a point, I think, because to, to most people, you, you mentioned the 80s, and they do think of Flock of Seagulls, and that wasn't my 80s either. I was, so what was your 80s? Well, the first yeah. half of the 80s, I was a teenager, and I was listening to the new wave of British heavy metal, which was terribly exciting <laughs> if you're a teenager. And then in my 20s... It was I was, probably one. There was all of that. It was incredible. Who would that be? Is that Saxon? Saxon Is that and, Samson? And Maiden. Samson and, you know, all those bands. Oh, yeah. my God, yes. Praying Mantis. Praying Magnum. Mantis. <laughs> You're talking about Span- the Spandex Revolution, I right? am. Oh, yeah. that must have been fun. Well, I've seen a picture of you at the time. Didn't you look like a member of Praying Mantis? I got, a, I got uh, asked if I was... Uh, orange ringlets, didn't I got asked if I was uh, Def Leppard's Rick Savage once. Well, that, there is no higher praise, is there, surely? Is my girl? The second half of the 80s was kind of... Uh, more punkified, I guess, and, and all the bands like Sonic Youth and the Bottle Service and Big Black, which I loved, you know. And the 80s were great for me. Right, right, because, yeah, but it suited your age group. Absolutely. At yeah. the time. Well, s- somebody's taking issue with my um, my column in the current issue, where I... Uh, Highly I... recommended. <laughs> Dave talks about... Uh, what did you talk about? Is it 1971 <laughs> being the... the is it 70? What 71? are you talking about? No, what did you just explain? I'm yeah. saying, basically, that the Annus Mirabilis of the rock album was 1971. That's it. It's no use looking anywhere else. The number of records that still resound today, that are still regarded as classics, that came out in 1971 is far greater than any other year at all. You know, um, and I now can't remember the names of any of them. But, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a great long list in, yep. the, in the current issue of Word. Now, somebody's, um, uh, Bob has taken issue with this because he's saying, well, it, it, I'm bound to think that because I was young and impressionable at the time. 
uh, and that, you know, if he takes the time, he was young and impressionable, 1999, he's got a list here which has got Sparkle Horse and Eminem and Paul Westerberg and Wilco and Blur and FX Twin and Tom Waits and Basement Jacks and Moby and, uh, and Pavement and Flaming Lips and so forth. And he's also really good, actually. But I was still saying, I don't think people are going to be talking about those records in 30 years' time, the way they're talking about Harvest and After the Gold Rush. <laughs> now. Uh, why why would that be, then? I think, I think there are certain eras that are so closely... that are kind of classic eras of in anything. You know, it's like... I don't know, if you go and look at the 1940s, you'll find more great movies probably made in the 1940s than any at the time, because the art form was coming to some kind of apogee at the same time. Yeah. So there was a huge rush yeah. of talent into the area and it was a greenfield site <laughs> that you know and you 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 talk to musicians nowadays they know this you know whereas when neil young went out and made those records or paul simon made those records the rolling stones or whatever nobody had done that kind of thing before in the between the type of albums you probably listed and the type of albums that bob does and the, and the fact that the type of albums you listed were mainstream albums that we yes. loved yeah. whereas bob's are not no, they're, but, they're much more kind of left field and alternative and, and classic in that sense. Yeah, I'll tell you, actually, and probably I've, have enormous uh, like sentimental yeah. value. For but him. My mum will love Carol King, but she's not going to get on with a Sparkle Horse album. Well, okay, these are my 1971 records: Hunky Dory, Led Zeppelin Four, Ram, Blue, Every Picture Tells a Story, What's Going On, Sticky Fingers, Aqualung, Metal, Nursery Crime, Who's Next, Tapestry, Surfs Up, Pearl, The Yes Album, L.A. Woman, Randy Newman Live, Don McLean. Message from the country, yeah, Phil Maurice, Dolman Brothers. Yeah, these are huge, great mainstream. I, just, I love the idea that Ram is in there. It's really cheered me up. <laughs> got a horse, got a sheep. Going to get me a good night's, good night's sleep. <laughs> living in my home in the heart of the country. Very good. You know, but they are, they are not culty at all, these records. You know, they were huge, popular successes. And uh, I think if they were made now, they'd probably be culty. Yes, they would, yeah. <laughs> it's probably also something to do with that thing I, which was a great debate when I was at Q magazine in the 1980s you know my theory I can remember announcing this to everybody I said these guys are going to be gone soon I said much as I love them I said you're Bob Dylan you're Paul McCartney I said you're Paul Simon you're Led Zeppelin um, you're John Lennon you know, you're Neil gonna, Young. I said, gonna, we're going to replace them soon because we're going to have the new lot and they were going well who's, what do you mean who's the new lot Come on, we got red. We got simply right about simply red. So we got the, you know, we got the Happy Mondays, haven't we? (laughs) We we got the Wonder stuff. We got. I can't remember his name, Miles Hunt. I mean, these guys are going to be massive. And my whole idea was that the great Easter Island statues would be toppled by the new guard. We'd we'd get a new collection of people we could put on the cover of Q magazine, but sell two hundred and fifty thousand copies. As indeed it did at the time. Amazing, and uh, that didn't happen. It, didn't happen, it did, did it? not happen because the vast majority of these magazines, the world over, are running. Neil Young, <laughs> and, and they're bigger than ever. <laughs> they're bigger than ever. Neil Young, Paul not, you know, John Lennon, not yeah. producing a kind of included, interesting of note in years. He's a bigger star now than he's ever been at any time in his life, and he's what in the latter half of his sixties because the audience is bigger. Yeah. all the time. The number of people. Well, it's that same old Neil, number of people coming into Neil Young's world. Grows every year. Well, that's, 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 my theory. that's my theory. Is if, you, if, you, if you tour every two or three years, as these guys do, in fact, they tour much more often than that, but if you tour every two or three years, then the constituency who will always go and see you, like I will always go and see Dylan or whatever, yeah. are going to be idiotic enough to shell out and, uh, and rock up. But there's also going to be three years of fresh... Uh, newcomers who yeah. think this is my only chance to see this guy who, who I, he doesn't sound so terrific now, but apparently he wrote Do you think anyone Aaron discovers Chasing. Neil Young through his new albums? Mm, there may be the album. I think that'll happen. I think that will happen, but I think it'll be exceptional when it does. You do get that occasionally. Yep. But I think mostly it's people going harvest or, yeah. you know. Decade. A lot of, a lot of this whole thing about what the great year was is based on what year you were born. Well, there's no question about that. And I, I, I am immensely envious of people who were born either five years before me or five years after me. If I'd been five years older, I would have seen the Beatles and I would have seen um, the Rolling Stones in a pub in Richmond. 
and uh, I would have seen, you know, The Who and all these fantastic groups I only ever got to see when they were playing huge stadiums. Uh, and if I'd been born five years uh, later, I would have got to see uh, the Sex Pistols, those groups who I did see, but I would have then been, you know, whatever it been, 15 or so, it would have been really exciting. Actually, as it happened, when I was a 17-year-old, I was sitting at the feet of Wishbone Ash and Quintessence in the Bracknell Sports Centre. <laughs> I've got to tell you that even at the time, I, I remember looking at my watch and thinking, this can't be what it's all about. It just can't be. These are the wonder years. Another can of Kestrel, Mark. Oh, I suppose so, if it make any difference. Uh, OK. Uh, I've got a, a few more questions from the Massive, and then we must go. Yeah, 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 cool. Um, somebody, Beanie wants to know, any hints Beanie, on, what, excellent. on what issue 100 will have? That's a good thing. Beanie, do please send me emails to remind me to think about it. It's yeah. so, so busy. And HB Wonderful wants know. to know, how about issue 100 being delivered personally by word staff to subscribers? All of them? I get some nice cakes in. Well, I had a lovely email uh, the other day uh, from a member of the Manchester Massive saying, you know, they're sort of thinking of planning a big do and could we tour? Could we tour? Yes. And have parties? Actually, this is my idea of a perfect job, actually, to take a week off and have parties every night in different conurbations. Yep. That's just not a bad idea. Final question. Baskerville Old F says, I find, <laughs> I find Norman Watrow... Hound of, comma. I find Norman Watrow a mesmerising bass player. Can we know a bit more about him? Isn't, isn't, is he playing with Wilco? He's playing, he's playing with Wilco on the 1st of February at a concert just oh, 100 yards from where we're sitting now. Across the road, yeah. sold out. Actually, I don't know. I mean, but, but Watroy was... What he did before he was in the Blockheads, and I think Kilburn and the High Roads, was he? I think he was. Yes, he was. Yeah, yes, I, I can't tell you the answer to that, but I couldn't agree more. We've talked about him on uh, on podcasts past him, actually, uh, particularly with Wilco himself, and he is the most unbelievable um, practitioner of the bass guitar. And you speak I, as I, one who knows. I <laughs> Very flattering of you. No, no he you really you is. Play the bass. I do play the so bass. You know, I have stood. I'm going to say I've done a very teenage thing. I have stood directly underneath uh, Norman Watrow, as I probably will do actually on February the first, and watched throughout. And the great thing about him, as I've said before, is that he he puts so much physical effort into it that the little skinny little suit that he wears begins to change colour. It's eventually changed colour completely, soaked with sweat, with his spidery Dickensian fingers. You know, he's an amazing, a real manual worker. He's a brilliant. So brilliant if you've got player. a ticket for that gig on February the well. 1st, uh, the word in your ear gig uh, takes place across the road. Uh, you're very lucky. And uh, anything else to add, Fraser? No, nope, not for me. Anybody doing anything exciting this weekend? I'll go to Paris. Oh, what? I'm going to see uh, Paris Saint-Germain play FC Sochaux Montbelliard. Oh, God, I wish I didn't know that. Uh, we are renting a, um, a chemical carpet cleaning <laughs> uh, a piece I of equipment and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and we're, we're cleaning the carpets. I might do a little bit more filing on my, on my new index to see... I wish that really has put me in a bad mood. I'll bring you back a macaron. <laughs> Please do. I'll see you in the Calypso section. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.